the Damaged Goods Podcast. Some, uh, yeah, it definitely does. It's got some bitterness to it, but I think that's an intentional bitterness. Right. Are so you, you, uh, it's, you know about that kind of shit, fancy dancy I, beers? I dated a, a Russian um, um, beer pourer. Let's just call her that. Like a bartender? A waitress? Yeah, yeah but like a beer advocate. Uh, like somebody who like really... Knew about yeast and stuff. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's hard not to laugh at that. No, I know. I mean, especially. Oh well, we won't get into details yeah. anyway. <laughs> that that IPA drinking voice on Damaged Goods this week is a uh, podcast alum. It's a fucking hilarious dude whose Instagram always makes me laugh. And when he interacts with mine, actually, I even laugh harder than my own shit. He's a he's a stand-up comedian, a writer, a producer, a man who can wear many hats. He can get on the technical side of shit. Direct shit. My man Scott Kidd. Hey, hey, yo. And, and, he, and he looks like a motherfucking rock star right now. Or a Muppet. I or mean, a, a Fraggle, maybe. It just depends Dude, on... Looks, <laughs> the last time I saw you, your hair was like getting there. But it's like fucking there, dude. Thanks, man. I um, My secret is I never cut it. <laughs> <laughs> the stash only is the cherry on top of that, too, bro. Yeah, I recently was on a, uh, a, I'm not going to say which TV show, as a background actor. I'm not, like, <laughs> trying to be stupid. But, uh, you can but be st- I'm stupid. This is the place they, for it. Usually they'll, like, trim you up, or, like, one time they added sideburns to me. Uh, this time they gave me a razor and said, go shave your own face. <laughs> and I was like, do I get paid for the labor? Yeah. <laughs> but no. You got the mustache not. rocking pretty tough, though, man. I, I got to say, there's, like... Thanks, man. There's like three people that wear mustaches, right? You got stateies, <laughs> state trooper police, okay. 70s porn stars, uh, or or like 70s rockers. You're kind of like half porn star, half rocker. I know you're not a cop, that's for sure. So you're like half porn. You kind of have like the porn star glasses, the hair, rock and roll rocker vibe. You I mean, I, it's great that you mentioned the cop, though, because I was an EMT, so I worked alongside you the police. You were an EMT? A little while, yeah. What do you not do, man? You are a man of many talents. I, I, I actually am. Um, Did you ever save a life? Uh, yeah, I've saved a life. I've put bodies in bags. I've. Uh, Jesus, you, know, <laughs> said, you know this dude's a stand-up comic because he uh, laughed after putting dead bodies. Because I know that the pressure of just saying that is very like cringy, so I'm just gonna instantly. Laughing through the pain. I, yeah, I mean, I know it's awkward, so. I'm probably laughing at the audience who's like clutching the uh, the couch or whatever they're listening on. Were you like Nicolas Cage in that Martin Scorsese movie? No one really watched too much. Bringing out the dead. <laughs> oh, I sure did. Uh, were, you like, were you like that? Were I want to well, picture you as being like that. You know, like I didn't. I don't want to say I saw a ghost, but I think I saw a ghost before I was I was an EMT. But um, but yeah, it was. I had a paramedic partner who was. You know, I'm not going to mention names, but. He was kind of like the guy who punched the, you know, punch yeah. out a, a drunk because he was wasting our time being drunk instead of like us saving a child or like an old lady or something, you know, somebody who's like partying too much and they have to have, uh, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, this guy is about to die. He's like, you know, passed out or blacked out or whatever. It's not, you know, just put him on his side and let him puke. Like, oh, god damn. Were you like? Were you like cracking jokes in the back of the ambulances oh, to see a kid with a broken arm? Were you still being like humorous in the well, moment of the seriousness? N- no, because like it like that actually did happen. I had like a child with a broken arm or like a uh, another child who like injured something, you know, personal. 
And uh, in those situations, he injured something personal. I just want to say, like in those situations, in Are those, we talking genital I'm, I'm not. Uh, you can uh, neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, because I don't want any yeah, of this truth. getting dug up. But oh, um, true. Christ, I forgot what time it was of the year. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I think if I'm vague, it's better off. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, there, there's always crazy stuff that happens. And when it, whenever those things happen, the first thing you want to do is just gauge the, the parents and see, you know, where their involvement or how, like, overbearing they are and blah, 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 because you can. And sometimes, uh, if necessary, have to report things that happen so anyway that's serious that's real serious my friends were getting real i thought about this the other day my friends were getting real um creeped out by me because i was trying to like emotionally deal with becoming a medic and right before i got like right before i started working i'd say sarcastic things like oh i can't wait to see my first decapitation (laughs) jesus you're trying to they were trying to i don't know they were freaked out you see you try to normalize it yeah (laughs) i mean I know what it's like to have a fucked up sense of humor and laugh. And I, I, it's a defense mechanism. It's right. a coping mechanism. Yeah. Like laugh at fucked up situations, sad, hard ones. So that's essentially what you're doing right there. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure your sense of humor made that job a little easier to swallow than just like if you were straight and narrow. Absolutely. I mean, when you when you're in the South and you have to lift a 450 pound person who is. Right. He was doing this in Louisiana. So big old folks. Yeah, so uh, you know, you pick somebody up who's passed out on the floor or on the floor all day, not passed out, but they're just they fell or whatever, and you have to go and pick them up, and you don't realize that hey, they were there all day. They <laughs> probably used the bathroom while they were down there, oh, especially geez. if they have to pay like fifteen hundred bucks in the South, where you minimum wage probably at the time was like seven, eight bucks an hour. So, you know. Uh, you pick up somebody like that, it's like a blanket of smell that oh, just hits you at once. So, like, you already have them up whenever, like, Ugh. it hits you. You know what I mean? The, the wafting, if you will. <sighs> and, uh, you know, that's that's when you have, like, your other paramedic or EMT guys are, like, holding you up like you're a ladder and, like, giving you support because you're about to fall back because this person's going to crush you now Jeez. that you're passing out. But, yeah. yeah, I asked one of my, uh, my superiors, I was like, do you ever... Do you ever get tired? I mean, you ever get over the smell? And she's like, no. And I was like, well, well damn. Uh, <laughs> you hope you get conditioned after a while. Right. Deal with that. Like a lot, I'm sure garbage men after like the first year, like don't bother them. I don't know if I could do a job if I was like going to be on the verge of vomiting. Yeah, I was thinking about that too the other day. You remember when garbage men that used to be a bad job? Like yeah. I see everybody in LA picking up garbage for a living. Like everybody. Yeah. It's mostly recycling, but still it's yeah. like. Man, I almost did it one year in Boston when I was younger. Me and my boys were looking into it for a summer job because you, you're just like five to twelve, you know, early in the morning, six to mm-hmm. one. But you got to think it's August. There's hot humidity, and you're like inches away from hot garbage. It sounds terrible, dude. Right. I mean, you know what? Like being that you're a humorous gentleman, and I'm I'm, I'm not a comic by any stretch, but I'm I'm, I'm funny. I, at least for myself, I make myself laugh. It's hard for me, and tell me if even more extreme for yourself. Being in a, in, a, in a workplace setting or any other life setting, but more a job, something you have to do continuously where it's not a job, like it's not where you're doing stand-up comedy or writing or acting or being funny, where you actually have to be quite the opposite, be kind of serious and like cold. Like, is that just like being in fucking jail? Do you just like hate it? I hate it and I'm not even a comic. Like when I can't be myself, I can't be loose and funny. You know? I mean, it's not that I can't be. 
No, uh, but if you're in a job where they it's prohibited or not allowed, a frown upon. Okay, upon. like like at the EMT job where I actually, you know, this is probably going to not make me look great, but I, one of the people's names on the door was Mike Hunt. What was his name? Mike Hunt. This is really his name. That was really his name. And I ran to the other boss and I was like, thinking that this guy was my pal or something. It's like, do we really have a Mike Hunt here? <laughs> and then the, the, the head, the bigger guy, mind you, all these guys were bald. Um, <laughs> Does that play a part of this? I would have to. I mean, in my decision making, yeah, the smell, the lack of hair, um, <laughs> and just the general douchiness because you're saving lives. There's an altruistic you know, feeling that goes behind that. There's like sure. a, a bigger calling, a greater calling that I wasn't, you know... Uh, it wasn't that I wasn't aware. It was that I wasn't necessarily willing to, you know, participate in because it does. It's a it's an emotional and spiritual tax. And uh, well said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I've I've had jobs where you know, yeah, you can't be yourself. I I mean, I don't know. I I tend to stretch my limits, and my cross boundaries and lines with my humor and jokes and just the way I am. And it's great for me, and it's great in certain jobs where, like this touring job I do in music. I can't Totally be myself. I can talk and dress and act like myself. I don't have to be anybody but me, which is awesome. And then, you know, like sometimes you go to like your family event, your family event, you might be able to talk. My family, I can act the same way. You go to like maybe my girlfriend's family or somebody else's, you got to tone it down a little. I fucking hate being censored at all levels. I hate having to work a job for eight hours. I got to be some dude's slave and like not be myself or at this friend's family or even if I go out to meet someone else's friends, like... I'm I'm a liability at times, you know, and I hate that. I just love the freedom. So I just imagine if I was a guy like as funny as you and a comedian, that like I couldn't stand ten minutes in a place like where I couldn't just be loose in myself, you know. But sometimes we gotta bite the bullet, you know. That's kind of what makes us. Maybe it reinforces your humor. At this point, I feel almost like I wanna. If I'm not working in a field where um, it can be. I, it's almost like an opportunity for me to kind of disguise that. Or let's say I'm, I'm working for a restaurant because I need a job, you know, like I need to pay the bills. And I'd much rather disguise that I'm in entertainment. What than, do you mean by disguise? Like I don't want people to know. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, But there's times where like I might have gotten a job because I was working with somebody in entertainment who also worked at that job. Yeah. And then so instantly everybody knew I probably got the job reference because of being in entertainment. And I'm still trying to be like, no, 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 Do you feel like what, like it adds some kind of pressure on you or they have preconceived notions they, of what you're going to be like? Well, that, yes, they have preconceived notions, but they also have potential ideas in mind that they want to oh, hey man check this out for a comedy bro like that yeah. you know you're funny man check this out right it's like hey oh you're funny um you get this you're a funny guy hey you're a comedian you won't mind me uh, talking about sex all day or you know hitting on you or uh you know saying all kinds of other dirty shit or being racist or talking about drug use or you know it's like i feel like you're just setting me up at that point you know not to not yeah to, that's a good point dude uh I, I've, I, you know, I've had jobs before where it might even be a cool job, or you're working in, for somebody in some facet, even in entertainment, where like you kind of feel like they're 
their eyes are on you, maybe not physically, but you know, like mm -hmm. they're almost baiting you with questions or like, oh, would you do this weekend? Or oh, and then they'll, they'll like, tell a story that you almost think is fake. Like they'll talk about partying and doing some wild, crazy shit and saying right. something to see if you're going to join in. You know, like entrapment. Uh, I don't like that. So that's yeah. usually if it's employers that I know are not just cool people I can be myself around, I keep my fucking my my personal shit a little tame. God right. forbid they go on my social media though. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like that's gonna happen regardless too. But I mean, it's just trying to maintain some sort of separation. Cause I mean, let's say I did have like a family and children and all that stuff. I wouldn't want them to think that the way I am on stage is the way I am in real life, or the way that I promote some some uh, comedy thing is necessarily how I am in real life. But you know, that's why. Me personally, I don't necessarily think it's that great of a thing to do like uh, fundraisers in comedy. I think it can be. I think it can be cool, but it's like there's so much exploitation involved in just the industry in general. It seems kind of um, in poor taste whenever you involve like innocent people as mm -hmm. well or like put them on the line as far as like the money that you're trying to to raise and it's like hey everybody our comedy's not great enough for you to like just come and yeah, give us yeah. money so we're gonna put it all on somebody who's a little you know yeah oh I, you know it's a little leveragey yeah and then people feel what like morally compelled to come or to, to, to yeah but then money. they'll just emotionally yeah. dissociate and, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. and then emotionally dissociate from you and your brand yeah, and they're not even maybe participating in the viewing of the comedy. Like you said, they're out to lunch, but they're there because they felt like they have to or they got to drop the 10, 20, 50 bucks and they just go through the motions to give themselves an emotional pat on the back. They feel Now they feel good about themselves. They donated to a good cause. They right. were there, but they're not right. paying attention to your art. Motherfuckers love them some emotional pats on the back, dude. Yeah. I found that at least Los Angeles, <clears throat> I tend to notice it more. Maybe it's because I live here now, but a lot of people like you know will be vegan not because they don't want to eat animal products as much or, or something, but because it's they can say, oh, I'm a good person. I patted myself on the oh, back. Wow. Or I recycle, not recycle, I'm, I'm more environmental. No, dude, and I'm all about the environment. The snake man loves the environment. But there's some people who like might go a little harder and tell you about it so they can say, look, I'm a good person. I care about the environment. Oh, I don't use those. I use this now. And like, I don't know, broadcasting rather than just doing it for the sake of the, you know, the true reason. I think there's a lot of that out here, and, and you see it like it gets co-opted in entertainment. Just like on the same side, I've, when I was a musician, man, I played a lot of fundraiser shows. And sometimes it was for causes I was directly related to, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I, I'm compelled personally to want to get involved, but it, it does have the same quality that you speak of. And, you know, ARC is co-opted a lot in the name of a good cause, but then the, the, the name of a good cause almost gets tarnished at the same time. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to have some kind of, you know, like I... I would consider doing like something in my hometown and there's all kinds of different foundations and things. I mean, my brother either even works in like medicine and stuff. So, you know, there's some way I could, uh, maybe do business with them or have some sort of partnership or sponsorship, but it's like, you really have to consider where, where you're going with things and what your like actual purpose is, because I don't know, it, it's, once you start getting to that level, it's almost like that mindset takes you away from who you truly are. Mm. I don't know. I, I Maybe we should change the subject and stop <laughs> offending people. Dude, we have a door. <laughs> I do plenty of that on here anyway. It's all right. I thought that was it's an interesting perspective. You know? Um, and I mean, because you're... 
you also involved in so many different aspects of comedy. Like you know, rather than just being a dude just up on stage telling jokes, you're, you're writing, you 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 produce. Yeah, I do. I do. I do stand up. I do improv. I do sketch. I do uh, musical comedy. I do. uh, You know, like. You play any instruments? Um, not well. (laughs) I uh, I used to play clarinet and bass clarinet. But like, so when like, what's your? I don't know if I've seen any musical comedy. Like, how do you incorporate? Uh, I definitely, I definitely can sing. I write music that's, um, you know, intentionally funny. I choose perspectives that are a little unconventional. Not in a trashy way or a sleazy way, but in a, you know, almost a just a out of the box sort of way. Um, because, you know, it, it's funny I say not a trashy or sleazy way. I, ha- I have a song called Psycho Pussy. And um, that's a real thing. It exists. It, it is. And I totally take it like it's a trashy, sleazy thing, but I do it in a comical sort of like cartoony way. Yeah. Because I don't actually believe that what I'm saying is is uh, really true, or I don't actually have the emotional tie that I may thought of I had at one point. But um, you know, I, I just I joke and say like a good relationship's fifty fifty, but I'm looking for a fifty one fifty. It's just stupid, stupid little tags like yeah. that. But the musical comedy, like, there's some dudes out there who I always liked do it, you know. But it seemed like that would be like their shtick. Only like you know, like that—that's the guy who does the folk music guitar, like a mm-hmm. Nick Thune type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different things, but like you see, you and you said something else I wanted to ask you about. It's like you know, you do sketch, you do improv, you do classic stand-up, and you know, me doing being an outsider of the comedy world, I, I'm only looking from the outside, making assumptions. So feel free to tell me I'm fucking retarded here. But, sure. Uh, like, I know other people in your field, and they tend to stick to one of those. Or, or if they do stand up, maybe they write sketch stuff, or, or they're really into improv. And I know there's like some animosity, or maybe that's a strong word, rift between some people who do stand up and some people who, do, who oh, yeah. do improv and stuff. How is it when you gravitate from from one world to the next and just keep doing it? Do you f- catch any shit from people from the different sides? Oh, absolutely. Um, the shit I catch from like the improv world about stand up is that a bunch of improvers don't know how to do stand up and. And they they attempt to anyway, and it just comes off very talky. It's not very um, concise or to the point. It's not there's not like a bullet format. It's it's more it's almost like it's like handwritten kind of stuff as opposed to like there's a lot of patterns in stand up, just like there's a lot of patterns in improv. But with stand up, you're you're either trying to pressure cook a situation or you're trying to like kind of reel something in or grind it out as opposed to improv where you're trying to like make Jackson Pollock's and like these impressionist paintings where or like, you know, build some kind of contraption together or make some kind of sculpture happen that makes sense or is at least entertaining enough to where someone's like, hey, that's still art. But I like that analogy, dude. I, I think if I just look back at my influences, I, I think of like Gene Wilder or like John Cleese or Eric Idle, like Monty Python people versus like Mel Brooks movies like uh, Young Frankenstein or something or even, you know, independent stuff that he was in like uh, uh, with Richard Pryor or, or Willy Wonka. It's like these, these performers back in the day, they could sing, they could dance, they could act. 
They could be funny. They could be dramatic. They could, like, you know, really pull your heartstring. More multi-talented than most today, you'd think? Um, I'm not going to make that claim, but, I mean, it's it feels that way. But it's like, quite honestly, I think the demand was different because you used to not have, ah. you know, cameras. And, and beyond that, even, like, the level of technology we have now, you know, where you'd have to know how to tap dance and, like, do yeah. vaudeville stuff. Yeah, that's and, true. Or even like the Three Stooges, like they could play instruments, even if it was just like a spoon and a and a freaking like a belt or something. Like they would make some kind of music out of whatever they were using. But then they were also like these roly poly wrestler kind of slapstick comedians, yeah. and then would like beat each other up and uh, have all kinds of prop comedy involved too. Where he's like Larry's got extra hair in his hair, so you could pull out his hair. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. But, but yeah, like today it's like if you did a, um, a bit like that, you'd have to either pay somebody a lot to have like really good hair and it looks <laughs> believable or it would just be like completely comical and yeah, like, you yeah. would, you obviously would, fake as fuck. Right. Me. And then you kind of lose some of the joke. I me. love in, in shows and movies tend not to do this, but comedic shows I like. When, like, you know, say someone's getting thrown off a building or hit by a bus and it's, like, not even trying to be a real dummy. It looks fake as fuck. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, when it's obviously funny. Um, like, uh, I saw, <laughs> you ever seen uh, Lethal Weapon, the first one? Yeah, of course. So, like, that scene where, and I saw it recently. watch. It was in, uh, I guess because it was HD, I, I, you actually could, like, watch the frame rate and see what happened, but... That first scene where Mel Gibson handcuffs himself to that guy who's oh, about to jump, building? yeah, about to jump off the building, and then they he pulls him off the building. That slow motion scene, you see them, like, like they're supposed to be handcuffed together. They're flopping. The, their hands are just completely separated, and then so they hold hands. As you see them slowly grab each other's hands to like make it not look like they just they didn't just mess up. HD like, fucked up some old movies, man. I hate watching old movies in HD. Um, Some of you said, I don't want to go too far. I have a tendency to just fucking stone out over here. Sure, absolutely. Um, I always, like, so you, you said the, the, the issue that some improv comics have with stand-up. Oh, yeah. I've always known that stand-up dudes kind of, because even podcasts I listen to of comedians, they kind of clown on improv or live issues, but I've never heard why. What is, the re what is it that stand-ups have against uh, improv comics? Um, I think what it is is that improv in its essence is yes and. And stand-up is usually finding the exception. They're like, you know, blue is blue. And a stand-up would be, you know, improv would be like, yes, and blue is the ocean or whatever. And uh, stand-up would be, uh, blue's not necessarily blue. You know, blue could be blue, but sometimes blue's not blue. Sometimes blue is navy, you know, or whatever their fucking reason is. But the point is, like, a stand-up's almost like a lawyer versus, like, improvers like a gospel choir or something. <laughs> you have some uh, fantastic analogies. Uh, but it's like when I went back to high school and I thought of all my influences that led me to stand-up, one of them was speech and debate because you have speech, which is acting and, and monologues and all that stuff. And then you have debate, which is like finding the exception, find, like yeah. stating your case, yeah. holding your side, you know, and uh, stand-up's also very much alone. It's supposed to be like, you'll see that if somebody's doing like a two-person bit, 
that it's it's not necessarily um, improv, like a two people improv. Mm. But sometimes you will see that because they assume that that's what a two person uh, routine is. When in reality, like Jimmy and Joey, Jimmy and Joey is this long term comedy duo that's I think it's the original or completely gone and they've like swapped people over the years until there's like here's the new Jimmy and Joey and he's like bringing in a new Joey and bringing it well eventually you know maybe switch out a new Jimmy you know they had a new ultimate warrior which they actually never did it was the same one we all thought he died oh yeah or no that was Renegade who killed himself who was like I don't know if you remember that guy anyway (laughs) moving right along uh But I, I see, I kind of see what you're saying now. It, it was just, so so, the stand-ups kind of look at improv as like, not hacky, but kind of like, just I don't know, they just don't respect it as much or something. Well, that's just fear. Yeah. I mean, like it's like I said, it's based off your influences. I've been doing some form of performing, some form of being a goofball since I was a little kid. My grandparents on both sides, Huge like goofballs. Yeah, I mean, it's like my grandmother on my dad's side was very goofy, and she and my dad used to goof around when they were young, you know, when he was a little kid. So it's like, I just, it was allowed in my in my household to be silly. And then whenever you go to, like, church as a little kid, and, like, you have to listen to the priest, you know, if you're a Catholic or whatever, and he sings, like, Kermit the Frog, which is, like, multiple people's bits, <laughs> yeah. including mine. Like, it's... That cracks me up. Even as a kid, we were just like, you know, trying to, and my mom's like, shh, yeah. shh, yeah. stop embarrassing me. But yeah, it's like improv is just finding a way to go and play in, in, in Playland and figuring out whatever structure that they use for that particular, because there's multiple forms and it, to where it can be like a sketch that they're building in the moment versus like stand up where it's like, uh, I'm gonna like uh, I'm gonna take a subject, and I'm gonna give my point of view, and I'm gonna hold. If I'm a good stand-up, I'm gonna hold my point of view yeah. all the way through, like or yeah. or I'll even play both sides of it and like be like the uh, in the moderator of this point of view, the the um, pros and cons of each, until we get to a, a conclusion either way. But the whole thing is, can I be funny based off of the audience reaction and keep moving, keep moving? Uh, with improv, they do use the audience reaction, but a lot of times they'll, they'll in the scene right after. Or um, they might take one laugh from one point and then escalate that one point and then keep escalating until it goes into a completely different direction. And then make it full circle again. It's just a different format. So like, like okay, so somebody who does like stand up and stuff, uh, they'll call themselves a stand up comic or maybe a comedian or something. Mm-hmm. Like, someone who does like only improv, do they do they just say comedian or do they say improv comic? I don't know if they say actor or comic actor, or, or yeah. but I mean like limiting yourself is is just if that's what you want to do, that's what you're gonna do. But it's like. There's so, I mean, do you want to be known as an actor? Do you want to be known as a personality? It's like, that's that's a good part of it, too. Because, like, improv, you can be a bunch of different people. Yeah. Stand-up, you typically... You're yourself, unless you have a character. Right? Yeah, like Billy Crystal, who's an actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't consider him a stand-up. You know what's funny? Like, 
there's a lot of stand-ups that have gone into acting and been good. You know, not not just comedic roles too, but right? How many fucking actors are good stand-ups? Name me one, dude. You know what? Listen, man. Okay, I, I appreciate anybody taking taking the jump into doing art, right? Music, acting, comedy, fucking painting, dude, whatever, chef. It's tough. And say you did one thing, doesn't always necessarily mean you'll be like a Jamie Foxx, right? And it's even more funny when it's people coming from like non-arts into arts. Like, yeah, you are a nasty football player. You got a Super Bowl ring. Like, so Rob Gronkowski, he plays for the, played for the Patriots. I mean, dude, he brought us a lot of rings. I'm not shitting on the guy. He had a stand-up special I found out about because some comedians I like their podcast, they were making fun of it. And I'm like, fuck, man, I like Gronk. And he's kind of a goofball. And they were talking about a show. He had a show on Showtime, I guess, where he kind of emceed it, brought different com- comics out to do their sets, but he, like, did jokes in between. And it was, f- I laughed, but I can say this because I don't work in comedy. I was laughing at him, not with him. Gronk, if you hear this, which you probably won't, but don't beat me up, dude. You're like seven foot tall. But, it, you know, he, it was like, he wasn't even aware. He, I think people were laughing. Maybe they were scared to not laugh, or I don't know. But it was so unfunny, and he's like a blit. You could see he's just oblivious to it. And, you know, I feel like the hardest thing to go from any other thing, whether it's music, acting, sports, science, is to go and become a, a stand-up comic. That just seems like the hardest one to, to be good at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you have to already be okay. Funny, dude. Well, well yeah, too, so. you have to be funny, obviously, but you have to also yeah. be okay with failure. You have to be okay with losing. And a Super Bowl winner does not sound like he's okay with failure. Yeah, especially if you've already won so much in your life. Do you want to start losing now in your 30s? Right. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to mention names, but yeah, there's a lot of athletes that get into. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of all kinds of stuff. I mean, I see. You see, like musicians transition into acting and comics, and like, like the dude. Um, what's his name, man? Fucking dude's in the movie The Green. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, right? You know that. You know who that comedian is? Okay. Oh, Sebastian. Yeah. The 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 famous Sebastian. Yeah, he's like Italian dude from Chicago or whatever. Kind of, he was on the, the Seinfeld show. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was on the Seinfeld. No, Sebastian? no, no. The uh, the um, comedians with. Uh, oh, he might have been. I don't watch that show. Before. I think we're talking about the. Yeah, same. he's pretty big, right? I didn't know who he was until a couple years ago, and apparently he's fucking huge. He's got one of those comedy fan bases where it's like almost like a Michael Bolton thing. You don't know anybody with a Michael Bolton CD, but. Dude sells a million records. This dude like sells out like Madison Square Garden shit. I'm not quite sure what his demographic is, but he's a comedian. And then he's in like this movie, The Green Book, which was an Oscar-winning movie last year. And he wasn't like a dramatic role, but he wasn't cracking jokes and being a clown. And then he's in the new fucking Scorsese movie, Irishman playing Joey Gallo. Crazy Joey Gallo is like a legendary dead monster. And this dude is like out of nowhere became like a real popular comic and then in very short span after that this dude's like transitioning to like some he hosted the fucking what are those things called that I don't watch um the MTV Music Awards mm. well good and uh it's just that was weird to me because he, I just he seemed like an odd pick for them he's not like a young millennials comic he's an older dude I think his fan base is like like moms in their 50s I don't know. I could be wildly wrong. It's probably the only one with decent credit nowadays. Anyway. Yeah, maybe that's why. But it just seemed like a weird pick for them. But I'm like, yo, this dude like transitioned to acting pretty well, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of comics. he does have that vibe. If you know, I think we're talking about the same yeah. guy. But, uh, um, but for me, it's like whenever I came around to the store, um, just as like an open micer or whatever you want to call me, I I saw him around just like I saw other guys. And, uh, I mean, I, I didn't get it. 
I didn't, I didn't get it, but it's okay. It's like, I never really invested myself. It's cause his outward, it's like, I don't mean to be judgy because like, I am the, I am the last person to want to fall into that role where, oh, what I look like is who I am. But to me, I just didn't see him really. Uh, I just saw him as another Ben Stiller and I don't really want to like right now, I'm probably making myself look real stupid, but I, and I don't mean Ben Stiller in like the way that Ben Stiller is, but like sort of the same, like. You know, if you were an action figure mold, they use the, basically the same character. Physicalities. They do bear some striking physical You, you could probably, like, cast him as brothers or cast him in the same sort of scenario. But um, his comedy is just, like, isn't it kind of, like, physical or something? Or Never seen it. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't I know. I just started hearing the name. But I saw him in these movies. I was like, that's a comedian guy they talk about. Well, that's good. That means that, like, A, he's kind of getting out of the comedy way for other people to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to transition. And he's transcending, so it it's still keeping the path beaten, yeah. and also like he's proving that we're not a bunch of idiots. I think like comedians too, especially standups, as funny as you guys are and jokes, a lot of the shit comes from places in your real life and your experiences, and some of them are like dark places, sad places, right? So even yeah. though you're on stage and you might be laughing and making the crowd laugh, you're pulling from some painful places, so you're in touch with. Some drama. You're in touch with some deep shit, right? So maybe you can tap into that when you're acting and play a dramatic role. Where maybe if I'm just like the fucking, like I don't know, pick an actor that just plays the man in action movies or drama roles, I might not be able to tap into it. like you don't have a serious humorous. But like it might be really hard to become funny. But you you are naturally in tune with these deep things all the time. It just comes out in a comedic way. So it might not be so hard for a comedian to get serious in a movie. But like yeah, the guy who's like the drama actor, fucking. Oscar winning action man you think he's gonna make you fucking laugh and piss your pants in the crowd like I don't know I don't know I mean Jer- if he does I'd be I'd blow my mind he'd blow my mind I mean it just depends I suppose it's Daniel Day-Lewis best actor of all time I'd be shocked if he made me laugh maybe actually maybe he's really he's such a good he, actor he he's probably he probably could be pretty funny because if, do if he's like really intense if you it's like horror right comedy's like horror they're almost the exact same format in movies like Dumb and Dumber versus uh, I don't know uh, Friday the Thirteenth or something. It's just like everything, or let's say the Omen. Everything starts out you know normal, and then it just starts to unravel over time until it it climaxes at this crazy ass point and starts to come back together. But even at the end, it's still uncertain. You know, it's like Dumb and Dumber. They they just have these dumbass jobs, and then they lose their jobs, and then like somehow they get across this this briefcase, which they don't know what's Samsonite. inside of it, right? And then they they're being chased the whole time, and then eventually they don't even realize they're being chased. They actually kill the guy who's chasing them, <laughs> and then like they they uh they get all the way to the end where it actually gets crazy, and then they're saved in the long run, but. They're about to, like, even at the end, it's undetermined because they're about to get hooked up with all these chicks and they're still too stupid to know what to do. So it comes right back around versus the omen where it's like everything's hunky-dory. This guy's like an ambassador for America. He gets married, you know, he, he gets his wife pregnant and then, like, everything's uh, glorious because their life is just coming together and they're in England or whatever. And then something happens where, like, a woman... Uh, 
like hangs herself for their child and then they start to notice everything's <laughs> getting weirder and weirder until eventually like a bulldog i mean like a doberman pincher is trying to fucking a- attack the dad and like they eventually have to kill their own son and then gregory peck a spoiler alert if you ain't seen the omen yeah the omen's the shit um and then like That's at the cool. end the fucking kid's still alive and he's staring at the camera like yeah, yeah i'm still here i'm the fucking devil dude yeah they do they did a I think they did a sequel, and I know they did a reboot like a couple years yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Fuck enough with the reboots. But dude. it's like the point is like it's, you know, this crazy wild ride, and it's undetermined at the end. But that's kind of life, you know. Yeah. And so when things are scary or when things are funny, it's just like, uh, it's like how do you see it as art? How do you see it as uh, interesting? Mm-hmm. You know, because I could just be like, Prozac, Walmart job fucking you know uh or unemployment or disability or some shit and just like coast for the you know mp3 player fucking uh you know uh, every t-vote episode i need and it's just like everything's just set for me it's like okay boom i eat the same fucking five meals every month and life goes on you know it's like it's probably not that different for me, honestly, but uh, <laughs> but it's like I find a way to keep it inter- interesting. Yeah, man. I mean, spicing it up is is the key to like living life. I mean, I don't know. I, I was I was driving back from surfing this morning with my stepsister. We're on Venice Boulevard. It's a beautiful day. About to get a breakfast burrito. Just smoke some Jaja ja Warrior medicine. And the most LA shit happens is this dude pulls up in a two door coupe Benz, drop top Benz. He's in a nice suit, shiny cufflinks, glistening in the fucking California sun. He's got a shit you not, Scott kid. He got an earpiece in, and he's on a bit. I can only assume he's about to close a deal. Like, maybe. I, I'm, I'm hoping that's what he's doing. And he's not talking to his boy about this weekend. I want him closing a deal. But he's all on some LA shit. And then I'm just like, oh man. I see another pe- couple people behind him that are not in such a nice vehicle. Not on the earpiece, looking like they're going to work, and I'm like, well, these guys are, you know, this guy in the Benz is probably spicing up his life. He probably just ate a, like an expensive lunch, or he's about to go have his expensive business lunch that wasn't what he ate yesterday, and he's yelling on it. Maybe he fires a client, gets a new one. He's he's living it up. He's spicing it up on this other end of the spectrum. Then these poor people behind him are going to begin their drab existence of that day at this other shitty job or being a slave to some dude in a corporate setting, which I, I know how soul-sucking that is. And I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum of this rich guy in the Benz. My day is spiced up too, but I'm not, I'm not living with the stability and the predictability of these guys in the middle going to that corporate drab existence. But I also don't know what's going to happen, so I, I spice it up too. You got to spice it up one way or the other. It's hard when you're stuck in that middle zone, dude. That gray mm-hmm. area is it's hard to get spicy. Well, it's like you said, soul-sucking. So eventually one of those guys in that back car might become the guy in front. Well, that's what you hope. But this, see, <laughs> the that's, that's what we hope. That's like the fucking Hollywood ending. But the problem is, like, to God, they might work for that guy in the front car. They might eventually get to work for him. But to get to be him is tough. I'm not saying you can't, dude. You know, rags of riches stories are, are a real thing. I think less of a thing than they were in the 50s and 60s and 40s. Uh, but it's out there. But it's just, it's more like just the process to even get there. That fucking, what, 15, 20 years of drab existence to get to work for that guy? To still work for him, you yeah. know? And then who knows if they retire. It's just, we, I mean, was, we was talking about this prior to the podcast beginning. And it's, it's like, man, being like a, like not saying like, when you, you're not a slave if you work for somebody else. It's all right, dude. Like, we, I, we've all worked for other people at times. But just feeling like you're just a fucking number 
like a you know just like ah oh, man yeah, just, just being devalued yeah just not having your talents getting used to their best ability and then especially it's frustrating when it's okay if you're just doing a shitty job at the warehouse or the the restaurant so you can work on your music your art your book your comedy but then when you start even working in entertainment like I've worked in music I work writing doing other things too and work for like radio shows and stations and I still deal with shit I'm not the boss of the radio station I work at you know I go do a show at. I'm not a boss for all these bands and people I work with. The only person I'm a boss for is the podcast and writing like my own shit. So when I, even when you have to work in these other settings like you were talking about, you're still not free from dealing with people above you that could be shitty, shady, bullshit, treat you like another number. Yeah, scrutiny, if you will. I, I, I mean, or just criticism. It's, it's fine because if you walk into it and you know what it is, then you can prepare for it. But it sucks because eventually there's a crossroad of what got me in here versus, you know, where is it going? And is it going with me exiting or is it going uh, forward with me as a part of it, which is basic stuff. But it's like the amount of effort that you put in and the amount of like output really don't match up sometimes well sure i mean but i guess i guess what you're like referring to what you're um talking about is like a show that i i i recently was a part of um mostly as a fan i was a fan for for years and i would go in as like just a way to kind of cut this loose is a comedy show yeah absolutely uh and man i was a, i was a big fan of it but it Quite honestly, it's hard to it's hard to um, put all into something that you're not getting a whole lot back from. Like I was getting experience, I was getting uh, you know exposure in a way, um, and getting to do some things that I've always wanted to do, like even like being on the radio and such. Radio's fun, right, dude? Yeah, absolutely, fucking fun. Um, but what's the real point you know and is that point my dream or is it someone else's and mm. does that dream coincide with my core value mm. you know more a man of morals and standards well yeah because what you know what what's are the, you if you don't have those what's the point i mean like i have a family i have relatives i have you know i could even say i have connections but I'm not going to be worth those connections if I don't uphold my end, you know, and something that I truly do believe in. So whenever I'm, I'm put in a situation where I feel like there's no winning or it's just going to stay the way it's going, I, I'm not going to, like, keep fighting for something that I truly don't believe in. I mean, and this that's pretty fucking harsh, and I apologize to you know anyone, but that's, uh, not, that's not harsh. I feel like that's it's just. Yeah, I mean, thanks, man. But you know, it is pretty like sometimes you do have to kind of be cold in some uh, situations. But you know, um, I mean, it's rare, dude, though, to to do that to act the way you're talking about, uh, because a lot of people swallow their pride or, or 
blind themselves to their own standards and morals to keep said opportunities, to keep said jobs, to get further in entertainment, in comedy, music, whatever. And they'll let their standards and morals slide. And, and it, I, you see it left and right out here. I see it all the time. And it's rare. It's, I think it should be uh, championed, celebrated almost. Well, I just don't want to change who I am just so that way I can coexist. I mean, like, and it's not in a negative fashion either. Or, you know, it's not like I'm going to be changing because I'm a piece of, piece of crap or something. I, it would be changing because I have to, like bend my uh, beliefs for someone else's success. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how Ellen does business, but I, I hear that she's she's kind of a fucking ball buster. And quite honestly, she's from Louisiana. A word? And Fellow Louisianian? Louisianian? I, I highly respect her. Just the fact that she was able to be her own personality, her own self, and and succeed so long in comedy and then still whenever she did her sitcom she was still able to do some kind of groundbreaking for the time you know subject matter and and still pull off the success she did down the line you know and it's like for her it fits but for me it's like i come out here I, I am a party dude. I am like yeah. a, a stoner pothead. Party, like, baby. Exactly. Yeah. I I do like uh, rock and roll and, and all these things. But I'm also from Louisiana where, you know, not only do we have like blues and jazz and Zotico and Mamba. Cash Money Cajun, Records, baby. There you go. Uh, is uh, No Limit from... Uh, yeah, yeah. Is that what we're yeah. talking about? The Masters P, No Limit, Cash Money, Baby Little Wayne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even so, see, as you can tell, I'm not very versed in those uh, genres, but but I definitely danced to it in middle school. Um, (laughs) You got to stay rich in music, man. But my point is just that, you know, along with that, we also have, you know, religion and family and agriculture and natural disasters, you know, like in, in a bad situation, we can still make it wholesome or we can still make it fun you know like hurricane andrew hurricane katrina hurricane lily hurricane whatever Jesus Christ. But i'm just saying like uh they don't really have earthquake parties out yeah. here you know you don't have mudslide parties the people at the fucking army navy store have a party after that so they sell everything oh, yeah earthquake freakouts they but that's more of a, that's more of an after party yeah, yeah. you know aftershock after party there you go and uh, <laughs> now, I've been in some hurricanes in the Caribbean when I was a kid, and nothing wow. as bad as Andrew or Katrina. But there is that communal vibe afterwards. It, it, granted, if the damage is not as too bad, people you know people are very thankful, and you know keeps you humble. Well, I told I got to meet Pablo Francisco one time in uh, the comedian. Yeah, in uh, at the radio station I was doing a, a spot on, and I got to. Uh, tell him, hey, you know, like your your comedy special bits and pieces was really it meant a lot to me during Hurricane Rita, um, which come to find out he dated a girl named Rita. But um, but during Hurricane Rita, we were trapped in this, or pretty much stuck in this house in uh, not trapped, but stuck in this house in Lafayette, Louisiana, and it was still on the police grid. Like, it's still the same, like, electrical grid as the police station right next, right down the road. So uh, we never really lost electricity during that. Oh, wow. You came up. But we had, like, a, I mean, I had to drive my, I, I had to, like, 
get my freaking 68 Ford Falcon. I had to like tune the carburetor just to get it to go one direction into my buddy's place. It was like a 20 mile drive right after work because everybody was leaving town. And I was like, wait, why are you all leaving town? I thought this was like Katrina where like, you know, even though it was really big in New Orleans, it wasn't that big in like uh, New Iberia. And they're like, well, this is different. <laughs> so we had like 17 foot floods and all, all kinds of crazy stuff where like the offshore guys had to bring all their stuff inland and a lot of things were lost. But uh, but yeah, I, I went 20 miles uh, west or northwest or whatever to Lafayette and um, I was able to just stay in this, you know, house and watch like Pablo Francisco over and over again and then uh, some other specials and some other movies and stuff and we just had like a mini fridge stuffed with uh, natty light the whole time so it was a party I mean we had a lot of fun and then people actually came to us you know whenever the stuff started subsiding because we had like a place to chill that's cool but then like in those towns in those moments there's always like a waffle house or something that's 24 hours that like stays open and They'll just keep having food and stuff for people. That's ill. Until they're like down to just like grilled cheese or a ham sandwich or like, and that's, we went there for food and that was it. That was all you could choose was like bread, cheese. And even in those situations, you're still kind of thankful for that. Oh, hell, that was a hot meal and it was damn good because it was the waffle. (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, dude, people, yeah, people need to, we are real comfortable in a lot of ways, man. So it's nice when you got, and it's not great to be put in these jams. But it's like, but it, it definitely makes you thankful for things. It keeps you humble, puts you in a good pr- place to absolutely. see things in a different perspective, man. But um, not to cut you off, but no, it's like the the whole point is that whenever I'm put into a jam, you know, I find a way to make it entertaining. But I'm still not gonna put myself in a situation where I'm mentally having to alter my perspective, you know, on a consistent level or a consistent rate. Uh, just to make it make sense. It's like being in a, in a toxic relationship with a crazy girl or something. Yeah, and you're just lying to yourself why it's okay to put mm-hmm. up with it. Well I'm, well, I'm staying at this job because X, Y, and Z and shit, you know? Right, because it's going to, you know, things are going to change, things are going to get better, blah, blah, blah. But also just, um, you know, being through all these other situations, I know whenever it can be really bad or, or how much I'm uh, going to allow myself to to um deal with but quite honestly i can i i can also reduce that and be perfectly fine without it you know like i can separate myself from the problem and be like hey you know what uh i can do just fine on my own and uh even thrive and flourish without having to worry about uh what this person's influence could possibly be I mean, I, th- I think, like, too, like, when you're in a place where you don't see eye to eye with somebody on their stand, like, morals and standards or, or whatever, or they don't, you know, you don't feel like you're given the space to be, you know, able to say what you want. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about being in jobs, just being censored. I, I hate feeling limited in, in any capacity, professionally, personally, with a friend, uh, you know, in a relationship, in my art. And uh, I mean, I think being able to have free range to, to, to express your art, whether you're painting the craziest pictures, saying the funniest jokes, writing the wildest music, whatever it is. And I, I hate any censorship. And I hate how a lot of things nowadays, 
not just in comedy, but in everything, there's there's like limitations that society wants to put on what you can and can't say, what you can and can't do. And not everything is everybody's cup of tea, but that's the beauty of choices and freedom. You don't like a song on the radio, change the channel. You don't like that author, you don't buy his books. You don't like those comics, don't watch their specials. Don't. Oh, if you're at a show and you don't like this one guy in the middle, go to the bathroom or the bar for that set. But like to try to impose these limitations on it. And I, I had this conversation, I had a stripper on here uh, last episode. And turns out instead of you know, being the quintessential stripper that hangs out with like rappers or athletes, she loves stand-up comedy, goes to all the comedy shows. And we we're talking about, you know, censorship and what she does is like very uncensored, right? If I can take your clothes off for money. Um, but like, you know, comics having to, you know, succumb to pressures from corporate sponsors, producers, writers, or if you want to be successful, maybe you shouldn't say these things. So people, I'm sure, self-censor themselves to reach more appeal. Or like, you know, the new Dave Chappelle special came out. There's all this fucking hoopla about how offensive it was. I watched it. I mean, I'm a big fan, so I, I, I enjoyed it. But I, even trying to look through the lens of the person who could be offended, I didn't see it to be as bad as what it, the two, three articles made it out to be, you know? Oh, you, yeah, Sticks and Stones. I didn't actually watch it because I, I saw it live for oh. months and months because he would come and practice at the store for oh, like yeah, three see. hours at a time. Does it, like, being that you're in the realm, like, does it burn out or like, kind of bum you out that to watch a lot of people's specials, you've already seen them practice this shit or work through the material so it doesn't hit as hard? For me, it's great because I don't want to spend the money on Netflix as oh, cheap yeah. as I am, so I'm just like... Uh, you know, my my sister was telling me about the Adam Sandler special where he's like singing. Yeah, he's like singing, and there's somebody playing piano or whatever. Orchestrated. And uh, and I was like, yeah, I, when I worked at the Improv, they uh, oh they were sh- they were uh, uh, I, I mean like I was only never mind, but uh, but yeah, no, like when I worked at the Improv, I got to see um, Adam Sandler practice all that stuff, and it was really cool to. Cause he would just be in the room, like hiding in the darkness, like low key, yeah, like fake just, nose and mustache and not, glasses. Not so much, but like still, like you know, like just keeping to himself. And you could tell it was like this moment where he was just trying to read and regain. Because I think this was post Robin Williams, but, oh. um, but yeah, they uh, they had him get on stage, and then he did these bits that were just so goofy. And then next thing you know, you see, um, uh, what's his name? Judd Apatow there. And then you smelled something in the air. And then eventually, uh, you know, Jeremy Piven started doing sets. Jeremy Piven's a stand up? I think so. He played, going back to the Ellen show, he played Spence, which was the. I never saw that show. Yeah, I I, I used to watch it when I was a kid, but then um, there's this channel called Laugh, L A F F. And it's just something you can catch on Antenna. It's like a derivative of uh, ABC. But they'll have like Ellen, Drew Carey, Bernie Mac show, so on and so forth. Uh, Night Court. Night Court. And uh, and so you can just burn through all the episodes yeah. of those on a daily basis like you used to. And uh, there was this one guy who was on the show. And eventually he got phased out by Piven, who was a guy named Spencer. Well, I think it was Spence. Like, he was like, yeah, he was like the cousin. He was like the funny guy, but he also played George in. Yeah, I remember that he, in, the, in the Seinfeld show on Seinfeld. Right, right. Yeah, Jerry. I yeah. remember him from PCU, the movie PCU. You yep, yeah, that was a funny movie. I like that movie. <laughs> John Favreau's in that dude. Fucking with the, the dreads, he gets all blazed out with uh, fucking George Clinton. 
That was a fun David Spade. I yeah. like that movie. It's funny, right? That was what, like ninety five. I'm just guessing ninety six, ninety four, something like that. Early nineties, and that was like when the PC like thing kind of like first came around, and then disappeared for like twenty years. And then everything comes in cycles. The nineties is in style. Everything goes in fashion cycles, music cycles, uh, cultural trend cycles. I think you know we're in that. Re- yeah. Yeah. No. That absolutely. Freaking uh, fashion, yeah, music. I mean, it's almost like people run out of ideas. And yeah. They're like, oh, hey, why don't we redo this? But yeah. it's like it's crazy to think that, you know, when did rock and roll come out? When did jazz? When did like, um, like Scott Joplin, like the uh, the Ice Cream Man song that you hear, like, you know, it's like it was kind of based off of technology, but at some point, people forgot to like include the oldest of the old you know but then at the same time that comes back around too so it's it's funny it's it's very interesting i think like disney and these giant movies where they'll have orchestras for the score is a great way of keeping that kind of um that vibe alive yeah uh, that's a good point scott kidd you could live in one decade or one time period other than right now what time period is scott kidd living in wow well, I've never asked any guests this question, by the way. Um, I would probably guess that the 70s was probably yeah. the safest place for a white guy yeah. to still be cool. Scott and I are both white. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and like still get decent drugs. Yeah, drugs are probably great right then. But like it's almost, I feel like the 70s are very similar to now, you know, like. Uh, but except that like you know there's a little bit different in accessibility but which mean just about drugs or just in general? you know like oh, technology like phones and stuff yeah. you know like you couldn't just call somebody you know yeah. you could definitely be strangled on the side of the road or something yeah. nobody kind of like that adventure though I... well then, yeah because then it's left on like you know being able to defend yourself and having being able to have a gun in your car yeah. you know Things I always like thought that. I'd like the 30s, like Prohibition era or Cowboy era. I think I would have thrived in Prohibition era. Probably been the happiest in the 70s, though, but more successful in the 30s, 20s. I would, I would not want to be in the 30s because I don't know if, they, I don't know if they had uh, antibiotics by then. What do you need antibiotics for? I don't know. Uh, stomach oh, infection? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'd take my chances. They probably did. I thought I would be a good cowboy, too. Like Wild West loner, roaming the towns, coming in, drinking some whiskey, hanging out with some prostitutes, eating a meal, putting my six-shooter on my hip, just roaming. I'm just a little... Dusty, though. A lot of dirt. Lot of I'm dirt. a little wondering, like, how crazy was the weed back then? Like, how in cra- the 1860s? Well... No, like even in like the seventies, like uh, it wasn't as good, dude. Well, that's what they say, but at the same time, like how crazy were people about like, like uh, arresting you for that shit? Oh, harsh, bro. You know dude, I mean? People were doing twenty-year prison sentences for a couple. Yeah, drug laws were harsher in in, the, in America <laughs> for sure. But you, I had people I related to and know personally that would fly with the, in the eighties with a key of coke in their bag on the check-in. They didn't search you. You could literally walk on the airplane with that shit. So. The harsher sentences, for sure, easier to get away with. Think of the quality of police. They didn't even have forensics back then and fucking surveillance videos and there's cameras everywhere. Do you know, the, the concept of, of stealing, I mean, uh, robbing a bank to me is probably the hardest crime I feel like to get away with. I think getting away with murder. Don't go murder anybody or rob a bank. But I think getting away with murder would be easier. 
Robert Banks seems hard because they can trace everything, they tail everything, they got cameras, they got everything. Back in the 70s, dude, motherfuckers was robbing some banks, dude. I, it was just easier. <laughs> Don't rob a bank or murder anybody. I feel like uh, even though the technology is greater now, uh, I, probably the infrastructure is 10 times better, too. I mean, what am I saying? They, yeah, they, this is the best time to be alive ever, almost. Although I fantasized the other decades. They figured out a way to take metal and turn it into like a glass metal to where you can bend it and mold it and make cars Terminator and shit. Terminator 2, liquid tea? No, not like liquid necessarily, but like maybe actually. But they just align the molecules to where they're spaced apart further to where it's not so uh, metally. It's almost like rubbery, but it's metal. Not more malleable. Exactly. Malleable. Or you can mold it into like the shape of a car and then like if, if it smashes you can just like put hot water on it and it can come back to the ah, original shape science baby it's fucking crazy human innovation is wild times i love it dude what's the last uh comedy special or comic you saw that like you were like oh shit like yeah i mean okay when i was a musician or as a writer i'm, I'm always impressed by people who kind of have a similar style but when i see somebody or read something that i wouldn't do per se or i can't do but i respect i'm always like Oh, that was ill. What was the last dude or chick that you saw? Um, Person, rather. I think the last the last few that I saw that were like mainstream would be. I know some underground comic shit too, so. Well, like semi hip. Like probably Jeff Ross was the last most recent person that was like he was preparing for his uh, the Baldwin roast. Oh, oh. It was like the night before, and the stuff that he was saying was really like. I mean, I knew some of the guys who were working on that, so, like, I could tell, like, you know, the, the caliber was was uh, was very high, you know, and and the, the trickery in, like, the and the timing was so freaking on point that I was like, oh, man, this is, this is fresh as fuck. But um, I, I'm not going to reveal the jokes yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know. Of course, but, of course. Uh, but, yeah, it's like if it, weren't, if it weren't somebody like that who's been working in the comedy world, you know, like Tough Crowd and freaking like so many. You even had like some movies he cameoed or got like small roles. I've in. seen him live a few times. I got roasted by him and David Tell at the comedy store and I was laughing my ass off. I was just I, in the crowd. David Tell is freaking phenomenal. And, and he's like a really nice guy. Um, but uh, the other guy I would have to say, even though I just mentioned David Tell, would be... Uh, Brian Holtzman. I don't know. You gotta, you gotta that, check him he's out. more of an underground guy, but he's been around for a while. He was on a show called Mining the Store with Pauly Shore, uh, which is about the comedy store. He was oh, on shit. TBS. Um, but he also is like one of those guys who closes out the main room on the weekends like often. Yeah. And Brian Holt. What is it? Holtzman. Like, Holtzman. Like Volts, but Holtz. Um, and uh, he... He'll like, he'll curse you out on the way out just because he wants you to leave, you know, like, and not in a mean way, but it'll sound mean. Like he's not, he's not actually, he doesn't actually mean what he's saying, but he'll be mean just because that's what the moment called for. And I've seen like the, you said like, I don't know if you said, holy shit, but like there was a time where I, I, it struck me where I was like, holy shit. Because, check this dude out. because like a woman turned around and gave him the finger, like "fuck you," <laughs> and I was like, "holy shit!" She's playing right into it. Well, yeah, but it was like 
was she in on it or like did she get that it was a joke or or was she actually like so offended that she wanted to just let it out yeah and it doesn't matter either way and i think just the fact that she did is probably so therapeutic for her that he like in turn did a bit of a favor for this yeah you know what's funny to me man like you know i I, i'm sure being a comic like you have thick skin i think anybody with a good sense of humor has thick skin you know like i grew up with an Irish American family just talking shit and joking and busting each other's balls and then all my friends do that and like so I'm just used to it so I got a pretty thick skin and most people I work I meet who work in your field pretty thick skin when you go to like other forms of art like comedians from my perspective don't take themselves too too seriously right um, it's part of the essence of your art and then you know maybe actors will take themselves a little more seriously and I feel like musicians the most take themselves the most seriously. More, okay, actors are playing other roles, so right, so they have to be goofy, they have to be serious, evil, mad, sad, all that shit. So they almost like don't even have not to say they don't have identities, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they get and so musicians deep in the have character. these these images though, right? These personas, yeah. rock stars, hip hop dude, like they have to like almost live up to it. So their ego is so fragile. And this is speaking from a guy who did music most of his life. It's so fragile. They're so susceptible to Criticism getting to him, fans in the crowd stopping the show, calling now. Where stand up comedian, you're like, you'll roast the motherfucker in the crowd, turn the whole crowd on. It's funny. Musicians get angry. They're like, I'm stopping the show if you don't get this guy out. You know, like or like whatever. You know, actors also like you know very get the camera out of my face. They have these strong personas they want to uphold, and they're like comedians got the thickest skin of all. Uh, it's funny you mention that because because uh, I got to meet these like Grammy award winning musicians and hang out with them and like uh, I wonder if I worked with them maybe maybe. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it after you know I don't want to necessarily reveal anybody of course, but of course, of course you know these a couple of them I talk to like here and there uh, through like Instagram or something or like you know we still kind of stayed in touch uh, which was pretty cool even if it was like a work related thing or whatever it was still pretty cool and um a, like a mutual friend and mutual like I don't, I don't want to say necessarily colleague but a mutual like uh, we were all like mutual fans of this person passed away and we went to like a memorial or whatever and there is a moment where um, one of the one of the guys was like just so taken back by the energy and just the you know how serious it is and how emotional it was that I don't think he was he didn't feel like maybe he was in the right place or he just couldn't handle like the uh the weight that it would take to carry um for this moment and like the other guys in the in that group did you know they they went ahead but it was like he got so taken back by the seriousness of it, that he wasn't allow he wasn't able to allow himself to be like funny or just have fun in the moment, and it's very like symptomatic of the situation. But also like it's like what you're saying; these guys take themselves very seriously, and like everything they do is like, you know how how they're, you know they view themselves. But um, if you if you wanted, uh, you know, it's not like how they. How, how do you say it? it's like it's like a mark on your record you know like whenever you're building your name you're building your brand it's like if you're a musician like Ozzy Osbourne or something um 
like right now people are talking about like post malone yeah, yeah. you know like more like post mortem but uh, that's, that was pretty mean um but no uh it's like everybody's like who's this Aussie Osborne guy you know and it's like i don't know any post malone you know i might i might from the radio or something but I, I know most Ozzy Osbourne, like almost all. Like I don't know every Beatles song, but I know almost every Ozzy song. And it's just funny how like you know our influences are getting shifted, and how this guy still like I even though I'm going through all this crazy shit, I'm just gonna go ahead and do a track with Post Malone. <laughs> maybe maybe get some uh, you know the cultural relevance leads to some new fans. Maybe people go back and check some Ozzy and some Sabbath shit. Well, it's like you'd hope, you'd hope. It's like when Johnny Cash was doing like Nine Inch Nail songs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how that works, man. Sometimes people you, you can revive. But yeah, this was the uh, the buddy that. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. So it's it's like um. It, it that even is like a a crazy thing because it's you wanna you wanna believe in somebody's path and you want to be there for them but then it can always take a left turn or it's like there's so many people that are like even right now i feel like i'm almost exploiting the the concept of it and there's so many people who i feel like ride the coattails of an ha- of something that happens like that yeah and and uh and it still keeps happening and it's just because it's like like for instance there's somebody i know who they they um, they're not even worth mentioning. I'm gonna, you know what? I was gonna say something about them, but they're not. It's not worth it's mentioning. Not even they're, worth they're, it. You ain't even not worth, worth it. mentioning. But uh, but anyway, it's just where where are you going? Where are you headed? And is it where you want to be? That's that's what I keep having to look at. You know, like that's why people ask, "What's your five year, ten year, twenty year plan?" I you hate know? that question. I know, but I do too. But it's like honestly. Let's say twenty years, you manage to stay alive. Yeah. What? Where do you want to be? What? You know? Do you want to have a house? Do you want to have a car? Do you want to have a business? Do you want to have a family? Do you want to have all of that? I mean. Oh God, that's so much. But I mean, it's it's, it, it's necessary in some, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. if you want to take yourself seriously. You know what I want to have in five years, Scott Kid? What's that? A motherfucking mustache. <laughs> 